from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 31 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. I'm Austin Statton, joined alongside Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. We have some great guests on tap in this week's installment, including interviews with Hollywood insider Dave Morales, YouTube star and comedian Ali Spagnola, and we'll talk NBA with Vincent Ellis of the Detroit Free Press and host of the Preaching Pistons podcast. Kevin, Jeremy, how was the week? Well, this is a very exciting week. Obviously, I'm an NBA fan first and foremost, and a lot of stuff happening in the NBA this week, but not what I was hoping would happen with the Rockets. So we get into that with Vince a little bit, and I would say that it was underwhelming, I guess, given the buildup I had towards it. What about you guys? I had a great week. Uh, kind of getting over the flu right now, but uh, other than that, I had a great time watching the Republican primary in South Carolina. A little disappointed with the result. Uh, Donald Trump is the bull in the GOP establishment China shop. Just it's a slow motion train wreck, the whole thing. But um, a little teaser for our listeners next week before Super Tuesday, we will have a special guest on from the Texas. Uh, he's a state representative, um, a Republican. And so uh, we'll have him on to talk about uh, predictions and kind of the, the trends, of the nomination process. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're also looking to bring on a Democratic spokesperson as well so we can have both sides represented. But uh, definitely look forward to that heading into Super Tuesday. Uh, But for me, I absolutely love this week. I got to go to two college baseball games, watch Rice actually play pretty poorly against uh, a team from Arizona. Uh, Sloppy play overall, but it was just great to be outdoors, 70-degree weather, watching college baseball. So absolutely no complaints. And uh, definitely glad to be here with you guys and uh, podcasting for yet another week. And uh, as always, we want to make sure that you follow our work. Uh, We want you to go to iTunes. We want you to uh, tell us what you like. Tell us, you know, any suggestions that you have. And we want you to do that via a five-star review. We actually have a new review, and Kevin will get into that at the end of the show. Also, you can find our work on social media. You can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also check out our website, weeklybrewcast.com. Now, Kevin, again, we love our sponsors, We Desserts. They have some big news coming, right? Well, it has been uh, a week or two, but they have been so popular with the beignets. I mean, you guys know beignets. I've been to New Orleans. I love beignets. They're like my favorite thing in the world. They are the dessert of choice for people who know their desserts, and I know my desserts. We've talked about my uh, my chunky issues recently on the radio, <laughs> um, but they do beignets as well as anyone outside of New Orleans, so if you are craving a little bit of the New Orleans-style beignet flavor, uh, they also have like some ice creams that they put on it. It's, it's, it's amazing. You definitely need to go to We Desserts, 3411 Kirby. They are now expanding Beignet Day to Thursday through Saturday. So Beignet Day, which used to be one day, is now three days due to the popularity. And what you guys can get that other people can't is a 10% discount. Just walk in, tell them you listen to the podcast. You're a Weekly Brew fan and listener, and you get 10% off of your order. So you can get like, uh, what is that, 10% more stuff? I'm not sure if the math is right, but uh, you can certainly take advantage of that offer, and we encourage you to do so. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Make sure to go check out We Desserts, 3411 Kirby here in Houston. Tell Penny and that the guys at the Weekly Brew sent you by. But as always, we have a packed show on deck, so it's time to sit back, relax, be informed. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. Now, as most of our listeners know, Kevin is a diehard NBA and Rockets fan. Now, while he might be terrible at making predictions, it is a sport that he is passionate about. And uh, Kevin, I know you were looking forward specifically to the Rockets possibly making a move, whether it be trading Dwight Howard or Ty Lawson. Daryl Morey did give you the move, but it wasn't the one you were looking for, correct? Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a homer and so forth. I acknowledge that. Bill Simmons has kind of made it okay to be both a sports journalist or sports media entertainment guy and a fan. And so I, I am very avowedly that. But um, but Modi Yunus is a, is a personal favorite of mine. I think he's a great young talent who could develop into something truly amazing. Um, you know, a perennial all-star if he, if he sort of gets his health right and so forth. But uh, and now he's sort of packaged and shipped away. Another fan favorite, Marcus Thornton, who's a streaky shooter, can get hot and really win a couple of games for He's also in Detroit as well. And, and we get a pick back in return. So that's um, it's the move, the sort of move that needed to be made in order to set us up for next year, kind of um, acknowledging that this isn't going to be the year, giving up some of our depth in order to draft for the future. Um, but what was most disappointing is not being able to get rid of Howard. And, and there were deals that were talked about out there. Obviously, Boston expressed some interest. There were some other teams too, but they weren't willing to part with the assets we would have needed to make it worth it. And nobody wanted to take on a rental. And Dwight Howard, of course, was not willing to waive his uh, opportunity to opt out and make one more big contract as the salary cap goes up. So there were just a lot of confounding 
surrounding factors that made the big moves I would have liked impossible for Moray, who famously drives a hard bargain. And uh, we're sort of left in this no man's land in the middle. And it's discouraging because uh, realistically, you're not going to win a first round playoff series against anyone. I mean, I, there are teams in the bottom half of the East, I think, could beat the Rockets in a seven game series. So it's um, it's a discouraging place to sort of be. You would have liked to move more pieces and get more in return. Uh, but, you know, they did the best they could at the trade deadline. I am I'm a Moray guy. I mean, I have full faith in him. A lot of people have um, either not liked him from the start because of his attitude or whatever, uh, or, or turned on him at this point. But I think the guy does a great job with what he's given. We've remained competitive all through the years where we weren't, you know, in championship contention. And so I think that that's uh, it's a good track to be on. It's a lot better. I don't know. The grass is sometimes greener on the other side, but really not. If you look around the NBA, there's not that many teams you'd rather be than the Rockets right now, I think, and that's largely due to Daryl Morey. One of the things to note about the Rockets is they absolutely struggled prior to the All-Star break, and uh, the coach, Coach J.B. Bickerstaff, said uh, prior to the game against Phoenix on Friday night that he felt that this team was about... He felt that there was a vibe with this team that they were about to hit a hot streak. And, you know, granted, they were playing, uh, you know, an underwhelming Phoenix team. Uh, they came out Friday night strong. Uh, they had a, they, they won the game 116 to 100. Uh, James Harden, 27 points, 7 assists, 10 rebounds. Uh, you had Trevor Ariza get 25 points. Pat Beverly, 18. Dwight Howard, 15. So it seemed like a solid team performance. Uh, Jeremy, Kevin, I, I'm kind of curious. I mean, I, I know we cover the Rockets a lot, but this team has pretty much all of the same pieces from last year's team. And I know you're not going to win a series against the Spurs or Golden State Warriors, but do either of you think they could maybe be competitive if they were to get into the playoffs? And just keep in mind, four and six in their last 10 games, but they are sitting right now at 28 and 28, currently in that eighth seed spot. So I don't see them beating the Warriors, but do you see them making a series competitive? No, and I'd rather see them tank, honestly. I, I don't think that there's any chance you're going to win a first-round series against anyone, uh, unless they show me something radically different than what I've seen this season. But, um, you know, we just gave away some depth. And obviously, Donatus Motiunas was not contributing for us. He's had his back issues and so forth. Uh, but Marcus Thornton has won a couple games for us. You know, he's a guy that gets out there and sometimes hits, you know, four, six threes in a game and, and sort of puts you uh, in a better position to win. So we're clearly not gaming to, towards winning a first-round series, and I'm okay with that. What I'd like to see is a more extreme move, maybe uh, playing Clint Capella more minutes because he's a young talent you'd like to develop. You know, these sort of moves that look towards the future and also as a byproduct, um, you know, without explicitly telling the players to lose games, which no one ever does, sort of put you in a position to slip out of the playoffs and, and hopefully get a better draft pick. Yeah, as a very casual Rockets fan, I, I can't help but uh, want to see the Rockets lose. And that's only because if they start winning playoff games, they're going to get my hopes up, which will eventually be dashed when they get killed. Uh, later in the playoffs. So uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to see the Rockets sort of regroup um, and focus on developing that young talent and come into next season uh, a little stronger position than sitting right at 500, which is where we are now. What, what this team needs most is a coach, though, and uh, J.B. Bickerstaff I don't think is the long-term solution. Has he showed you guys anything that would make you confident in him and as the coach going forward? Absolutely not. I think here on the podcast, we have endorsed Jeff Van Gundy coming to the Rockets, but I don't know that Daryl Moore is going to make that move happen. But I think that the Rockets need a coach that's going to almost put James Harden in his place. I mean, he gives he's he's a star, but he almost gives a lackadaisical effort every time that he comes out of the court. I mean, he's going to put up 25, 30 points a game, but his lack of effort on defense is just unacceptable in my opinion. And I've heard that there have been, you know, some issues in the locker room. I mean, last week Bleacher Report had an article saying that after the Rockets' first round loss against Portland 2 years ago that both James Harden and Dwight Howard were lobbying that one another be traded, uh, you know, because they felt that, that it was their team and there were some chemistry issues and I don't know, maybe last year was a fluke. The talent is there. I mean, they've got a, one of the game's best defenders in the post. And James Harden, who's arguably one of the top five, five to eight players in the NBA right now. I don't know. He needs to turn it around. He needs to show me something, especially heading into next season. I think one of the things that might help him would be playing for Team USA this year at the Rio 2016 Olympics. Uh, a lot of people noted that his NBA, his MVP caliber season last year was as a result from playing with the national team. And if you notice last year, he stepped up a little bit on defense and was more of a, uh, a nuisance. And I don't I don't think he has to be, you know, a shutdown defender, uh, but he, he needs to 
show a little bit more and, and maybe spending time, uh, you know, with Coach K and the national team this year in Rio will help him redefine his game and, and provide a spark for the Rockets next year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what moves Daryl Morey tries to make during the offseason. As a lot of people know, Kevin Durant is uh, a pending free agent. Uh, there are rumors that, you know, he might want to play with James Harden. There are rumors that he might want to go to D.C., play with John Wall, or that he might end up in the Golden State Warriors with that ridiculous team. But I, I think that if, if I'm siding with Kevin on this, I, I think that it's probably best for the Rockets to miss the playoffs. And, you know, if they do miss the playoffs and they also uh, don't have the, they don't have to give that pick to the Denver Nuggets for that Ty Lawson trade. So I think that could be a win for them. They would have two first round picks, uh, also one from Detroit. So I think that there's some movement that you can I don't know. I think that maybe you can move up in the draft, get a nice you know, lottery position. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because obviously the Rockets are going to make a coaching change and to see the direction this team has heading into the 2016-2017 season. Well, a couple things there. Uh, you know, they talk about the Bleacher Report. Um, I don't know how much I trust Bleacher Report in the first place, but if that is true, what we're hearing, then I side with James Harden. He was right to request that Dwight Howard be traded, I think. And and so it's not a question of like locker room chemistry. I think James Harden has got his head screwed on straight in terms of what this team needs to do. Um, Dwight Howard is a nuisance. He's a pest. He He's a poor locker room guy. You know, I don't like the term locker room cancer. I, I think it's, you know, offensive on a number of levels, but that's what it brings to mind. He just really has this effect on any team that he goes to. And fortunately, I think there's no chance he's coming back. So we'll part ways with him soon. It sets you a little further back, but gives you the opportunity to rebuild. And again, I trust Warrior's uh, ability to do that with, with putting the right pieces in place. He goes for stars. Dwight Howard was a star. A lot of people liked the move at the time. Didn't work out, but I think they're going to get it done next year. Absolutely fascinating to see what happens with the Rockets, but uh, let's talk about the present. Uh, we actually interviewed Vincent Ellis from the Detroit Free Press, who covers the Pistons. He was kind enough to join us when we recorded on Sunday, so we'll go ahead and drop in the audio right now, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. As we mentioned earlier, I think a lot of folks in Houston believe that there was a high probability that the Rockets and GM Daryl Morey would deal Dwight Howard prior to the NBA trade deadline last week. Although Howard is still a rocket, Morey struck a deal with the Pistons, trading Dantas Montiunas and Marcus Thornton to the Pistons, securing a likely first-round top-eight protected pick. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew to discuss the move is Vincent Ellis from the Detroit Free Press, who covers the Pistons. Before we dive into the trade, Vincent, can you tell us how you ended up getting to Detroit from your roots in the South? Newspapers, uh, typically you jump around... uh from different markets you start off in a small market and you can work your way up from there so my first i was raised in alabama i went to school at the university of alabama but you know uh northern papers pay better than southern papers uh, so uh that's why that's why i'm here uh, i love detroit though it doesn't have anything to do with uh uh one where one one place versus the other but i do love where i do live i actually live in the city of of Detroit, so uh, that's how I got here. But basically, just chasing the dollar. It's pretty simple, actually. <laughs> so no, no, no great barbecue in Detroit. Is that what you're saying? Oh, you know what? Um, you know, uh, I hate to get racial on you, but you know, Detroit is a uh, majority black city, and uh, you know, and the most black folks in this country migrated from the south. So yeah, you can find black barbecue here. <laughs> <laughs> so. Vincent, what is the reaction in Detroit after the move? Uh, you know, they think it was uh, people were uh, positive, uh, but Tobias Harris was a lot was a bigger slash. Uh, you know, most most folks don't even know who Donatus Matiunas is. You have to be a, uh, a really uh, into NBA basketball to uh, to to really understand who he is. Seven footer can score with both hands, uh, can shoot the three. Uh, really had that one really good season last year, and then he got the back surgery. So it's not like he's someone who's top of mind um, on just a casual basketball fan. So that, I mean, the the, the the reaction was the Tobias Harris move, not necessarily the uh, Donatus Makinunas move. On the other hand, the uh, the Pistons have targeted him. I, mean, I heard that they were considering drafting him um, when the Rockets eventually ended up drafting him as well. And, and I'm just curious. Uh... No, 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 no. They considered. They considered trading for him last year at the draft. Uh, the deal was, I, I reported this, This was I reported okay. this, was during the draft last year, the Rockets were trying to move up to number eight where they were likely, likely would have selected Justice Winslow. And the Pistons would have moved down to 18, right? And that's that's what there was. They were, there was consideration for and to the, 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 the character to get them to move up or to let the Rockets move up would have been uh, trading them down to Smokey Unis. Uh, that it wasn't a draft thing. It was a last year during the draft 
the Rockets were talking to the Pistons about moving up in the draft. Gotcha. Well, uh, so a lot of people around the league have been saying that, you know, the Pistons won uh, at the trade deadline. You know, they made the biggest moves or whatever, helped themselves the most. I mean, from from the inside looking out, is that a, is that a correct statement? Uh, did they do everything they wanted to do at the trade deadline with these moves? They did what they wanted to do. They looked to upgrade their talent base, so they have. But I'm not one to say they won the trade. Everybody wants to declare winners and losers, but I'm one of those few people who says, it's stupid to declare a winner and loser now. Let's check back a year from now when we see whether Donatello Donatus Makayunas is playing and playing well. They signed him to a nice deal. Uh, Tobias Harris, he's a star on a really good team. I mean, the, we don't know how this stuff's going to work out. Uh, right now, the Pistons, they, they accomplished their objectives, but whether those objectives were the correct ones, we don't know yet. But, yeah, they did accomplish their objectives. Now, Vince, I'm sort of curious, looking at the Pistons' record here, they're 27-28. and 28. Um, You know, being on the ground there in Detroit, where do you see the trajectory of this team going into next season? They have a nice young nucleus, but again, I'm just one of those guys that I don't know. I'll, when, we, we, when we see the results, I can tell you what the trajectory is. I don't know. Uh, they have a nice, talented, it seems to be a nice, talented nucleus. But again, I'm not a guy who makes predictions because predictions. people who say that stuff, they don't know. We only know what we see on the floor. So uh, they have accomplished their objectives. They have turned over the rosters and Stan Van Gundy has taken over. But will it work? We don't know that. And answer me that question. We'll, We'll all know the answer at the same time whether it works or not. (laughs) <laughs> and really quickly, just for our audience, uh, Kevin is terrible at making predictions. So, Vincent, we definitely appreciate you telling us that we should make predictions. <laughs> well, uh, but the, think about it. I know we live in this in this culture of hot cakes. But how many hot cakes can you go back and look uh, maybe just last year that were complete and utterly wrong because people make <laughs> these snap judgments based on very little information, but you got to have a hot cake. It's actually kind of silly, but – we live in this era, and I kind of like have to survive in it. Um, I can tell you, because uh, Martin is a talented player. I can tell you, Tobias Harris is a talented player. But if you could just go predict teams are going to be good based on talented players, I mean, we could all be GMs. <laughs> Speaking of GMs, you know, it's kind of a risk, I think, in the league to have the coach be the GM. We've seen Doc Rivers make some very questionable moves, but a lot of people around the league are saying that uh, Stan Van Gundy actually is doing that pretty successfully. I mean, is that your perception that he is uh, the epitome of what a good coach GM should be? So again, they haven't made the playoffs yet. How do we know that? I, I, we keep going back to that. I don't know. I have no way of knowing that. They haven't made the playoffs yet. They haven't done it. It looks like they're not going to make the playoffs this year the way they're playing. So if winning is your number one goal, you would say no. But he's just a year and, I guess, 50-some-odd games in, so that'd be too quick to make a snap judgment. So the league, they want to say that stuff, but I'm not going to say that stuff. Sounds like you guys should have invited one of those snap judgment hot cake guys instead of me. <laughs> Here we're a Houston-based podcast, and so we cover the Rockets quite frequently. In Detroit, what is the perception on the Rockets this season? I mean, do you have any insight to that? I mean, the Rockets kind of struggling here to uh, be in that final, you know, seven, eight, nine range for the playoffs. What's the perception of the Rockets in Detroit? Their team looks like they're getting ready to get beat the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> uh, they really probably need to figure some things out. Uh, Dwight Howard's evidently not the answer, and it's, you'd be stunned if he's even there next year. Um, I don't even know. If, like James Harden's a really good player, a great player, but is he a guy to be the best player on a team that can win the championship? That'd be a question I would have. Um, you know, he's really good. You know, the guy was in the top five in MVP voting last year. I think was in a second, right? Correct. Right. And uh, is he a guy to be the best player on a team that can win a championship? That's just available. I think he's a great player, but maybe he needs help. He needs help. Uh, he's not a LeBron James or Kevin Durant, those type guys whose mere presence makes a team a uh, uh, title contender. And, you know, I would speak to that argument about Carmelo Anthony as well. He's not a guy who you can say if he's the best player on your team, do you necessarily have a team that's going to win a championship? Uh, that's the question I would have for the Rockets. But, you know, you got a GM who's pretty active and likes to move things and do things. So I would expect it to be another busy offseason for the Rockets uh, next year. One commonality that our two teams do share, Detroit and Houston, is that they are two of the most hacked teams in the league. Obviously, you have Andre Drummond, who can't shoot free throws. Dwight Howard and Clint Capella can't shoot free throws. Adam Silver's made some noise about possibly changing that rule. I mean, is that something you see coming, something that the league needs in order to make basketball more watchable? That's something I have a strong opinion on. Um, yeah, they need to change that rule. And, I, and the whole 
thing. Here's my argument. Okay, so, okay, so the free throw absolutist is what I call them. The guy who make your free throws. They never change the rule, which is complete other nonsense. They changed the rules for George Mikan. They changed the rule for uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They changed the rules all the time in the in the past for things that they perceived was going on with the game. And I think it's the league's responsibility to head off potential problems with the past and. People do not want to see free throw shooting contests. And to my point, okay, let's think of some of the greatest free throw shooters in the world. Let's see. Would you pay money to have Rick Barry back in his prime do 40 free throws in a game? Would you? I would know. No. And he's great at it. He's awesome at it. Amazing at it. But that, that act of shooting a free throw is not, a, 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 it's not an appealing thing, even for the people who are good at it. So it's the, the, the people who think that should be stay in the game is just silly. It's utter, utter silliness. Well, Vincent, we definitely appreciate uh, your insights, uh, you know, discussing a little bit about the, the traits scenarios that took place last week. Also a little bit about Stan Van Gundy and uh, kind of your thoughts on the Rockets and the, the hack uh, insert player's last name. But for those that want to follow your work, where can they find you? They can find me at Vincent underscore Ellis. 5656, basically. So Vincent underscore LS56, my high school football number. So that's where they can find me. <laughs> well, Vincent, we definitely appreciate your time uh, joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. Enjoy covering the Pistons the rest of the season. Hey, enjoy watching the Rockets. We will try. <laughs> we'll try. <laughs> We definitely appreciate Vincent joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast. Guys, I thought he provided some great insight from a local perspective in Detroit, kind of uh, discussing a little bit about the Rockets move, the Daryl Morey's trade uh, with the Pistons this past week. What did you guys think? Vince is a great guy, and I love reading his work uh, for the Detroit Free Press. I love listening to his podcast, Preaching Pistons, and uh, I just loved having him on as well. So we appreciate Vincent taking the time, and I think that he certainly had some great insight into what the NBA needs to do to make basketball more watchable, because there's really one thing I think that's holding them back, and that's this whole hack-a-player nonsense that's been happening, particularly to us, Detroit, and uh, the Clippers. So that's uh, thanks for coming on, Vincent. We always appreciate it. Yeah, Vincent had some wise words for those of us who like to make predictions uh, in basketball and other sports. That's definitely true. But uh, Vincent, great interview again. Check him out on Twitter and follow his podcast on iTunes, Preaching Pistons. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Late last year, we welcomed Dave Morales from Backstage OL onto the podcast to discuss the new Star Wars film and Will Smith's role in concussion. Kevin, it's been several weeks since we've discussed the entertainment industry on the show, and with the Grammys taking place last Monday and the Oscars on deck this coming weekend, we're proud to welcome the hardest working man in Hollywood back onto the show. Dave, how are you doing this week? Oh, my gosh. Hey, first of all, I need to apologize if I uh, sound a little bit like Lucille Ball in the final years. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just, I, I'm not sick, I promise. I, uh, I know that's kind of mean to if any <laughs> Lucille. I love Lucy. Who doesn't? No, I um, just been going back and forth traveling a bunch. I was actually at the Grammys a couple of days ago. So, uh, but I, um, um, I just, my voice just kind of went out on me. So what I, I'm telling everybody is that uh, it was because I was screaming so loud for Justin Bieber at the Grammy. So that, that's what that's what I was doing. Justin Bieber and not Kendrick Lamar. That's a little bit odd. I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'd argue that you had a bigger week than Kendrick Lamar. I mean, you absolutely nailed your Grammy predictions. What was it like being in Los Angeles for music's biggest night? Thank you for the props. You know, um, I, I hope I had that much luck uh, with the Oscars, but we'll see. I, that was just dumb luck. Everybody's asking me, like, well, how did you know? How did you know? I'm like, I just had a feeling. Uh, you know, this is actually the first year I've gotten the, the big categories, all of them correct. I should have bet on it. But <laughs> it was cool. I, mean, I am also a member of the Academy, the Recording Academy, so this was my... Third member, third Grammys as a member, and then overall, I think I've been to the show about six or seven times. But it's cool, it's great. You know, everybody's talking about the Adele performance. I, it sounded fine inside Staples Center. I, I guess on TV it sounded bad, um, but the, over, the show is great. But I tell people it's basically like going to a concert. Um, I'm very, very fortunate, you know, and or gra- grateful for the fact that I, I get to go. It is a fortunate thing, you know. I'm able to get tickets because. When you think about it, there's only, but I mean, it, it, it is a big venue. Staples, for those that know Toyota Center in Houston, it's like going to an award show there. I mean, there's about 20,000 plus, you know, people with you. And, um, it, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's a big deal. But, uh, but it's fun to be there and actually see everything in, 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 in person. The funny story of the night, though, 
was I went to a, a Grammy party, and you may have heard about the incident that happened with Paul McCartney not being able to get into a, a party. Well, as it turns out, he ended up going to the party I was at. But and before you say, oh, yeah, wow, cool, Dave, you got, you know, Paul McCartney, I left about 30 minutes before he got there. I just had had enough. <laughs> so I, when I saw it, yeah, when I saw it on TMZ, like the next day, I, um, I was like, oh man, I should have stayed. But anyway, we, it was, it, it's a wonderful time and, and it's cool. And, you know, now I, uh, I'm done with award season. So I get to buy, I put the, the suit that I buy every year for award season gets to go back in the closet. Before we transition into the Oscars, uh, you know, the big winners for the Grammys were Taylor Swift winning, winning album of the year, Ed Shereen with song of the year, Megan Trainor best new artist, Bruno Mars, Mark Ronson record of the year, Kendrick Lamar, obviously best rap album. Was there someone in particular that you felt was snubbed during the Grammy awards? Yeah, it's a great question because right before the show, I was actually talking to a couple of people, um, other members of the Academy I said, you know what's going to be great about this show tonight is that it's evenly spread out. You don't have one person that's going to win every category. Like years past, like Taylor won, you know, everything last year. And uh, was it last year or the year before? I know she, there was one. There's there are awards that that where people just you know run the gamut. I mean, they 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 just win everything. This one was, I think, to me, evenly spread out. You know, Kendrick won, like you said. You know, Bruno won. I mean, it was it was spread out. You know, next year it's not going to be like that. Adele is going to win everything, including probably uh, Best New Artist, even though she won't be nominated uh, in that category. I mean, Adele's going to clean up at the next at Grammys. But, you know, it was, it was spread out. So I think it was, somebody snubbed. Uh, no, not in my opinion. I think I think everybody that should have won won an award. Um, there is one. There was one controversial category, and that was a rock album. Alabama Shakes won where I think Foo Fighters should have won that one because Foo Fighters is actually a rock band in that category. Right. You know, and that one to me, I was like, well, that's kind of random. So, but the, the, yeah, I guess Foo Fighters, if you, to answer your question, I think if I had to, it'd be Foo Fighters for rock. Who should have won? But I, overall, overall, though, the, the award show was, was evenly spread out. I think so. I just we have some uh, degenerate gamblers amongst our audience, and I want to point out for them that you swept your predictions for the Grammys. So anybody that is looking to take this to the bank, get ready to put money down on your Oscar predictions because this guy is on fire. Oh wow, you're putting you're putting pressure on me right now because <laughs> there are a couple. I thought of I knew I was going to talk with you guys today, and I was kind of doing my homework, just making sure. And there is there is one uh, prediction that I have. It's it's a big one in in one of the major categories, and I'm really hoping that I'm right. So I'll let you get it through the categories like you want, and then I'll I'll make sure that I mention that that's the category that I'm really banking everything on. So, you know, I, I should the 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 warning is yeah, don't bet the mortgage, but um, we'll see. So cool. Yeah, so I'm happy, man. Well, I mean, what I'm most interested in is not necessarily the individual categories, but kind of the buzz surrounding the Oscar. You know, there's the hashtag Oscar so white, um, the idea that it's sort of whitewashed, uh, lily white this year, you know, no minorities. Even the, the uh, like Straight Outta Compton was nominated for the writers who were white. Creed's nominated for Stallone, who's white in that movie. Those are both fairly black vehicles. Um, so I, do you think that that sort of talk is fair? Does it seem like the Oscars might be out of touch or that they have overlooked some very deserved performances from African-Americans and minorities this season? Uh, absolutely. And here's the deal. Oscars need to catch up. And it's, it's funny we talked to Grammys a minute ago because this same conversation was taking place years ago, uh, you know, and the Grammys did exactly that. They revamped their membership, uh, the people that vote. I'm not a voting member of the Academy, but I do know that they revamped the voting members. You know, they, they, they went through a whole thing where they, they tried to get a little bit more uh, diversity, you know, a, a little bit more of a cross section of what really what music was all about. And like we just talked about a second ago, that's exactly what happened with the Grammys this year. They it was it was well represented, I think, across the board. The Oscars need to do the same thing. You've got uh, the same people that have voted for this thing for decades, and and they they need to bring in a fresh, new blood, fresh blood. People that are that are making the movies that come from all you know areas. I mean, not just de de all demographics. Because my big thing is, I get it. Yes, Oscar so white. It's it's fair to say that about what's happening this year. But also, there's the other side of that thing. And I know this is going to sound a little controversial, but I've had this conversation with a lot of people in Hollywood. 
and they're like, wow, Dave, that, that is actually a pretty good point. Just because you make a film and just because you're also a minority doesn't mean you should automatically get a nomination. And I firmly believe that. It should be based on the merit. It should be based on the, the quality uh, of the film being produced and marketed. It's a marketing machine. So I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association, the BFCA, so we just had our Critics' Choice Awards. And as a voting member of that, I am a voting member, I get worked by the studios. You know, I like to vote on the films that I particularly enjoy, that I, when I nominate, I, the ones that I think should deserve the award, whether it's a black film, a white film, Hispanic film, Asian film, whatever. I, I don't care about that. I'm going on quality. Um, but there are also marketing machines behind these things. I get gifts. I get, you know, I mean, studios send, you know, and they're probably just simple little coffee mug type stuff, but there are marketing things that the studios do to, to bring attention to their film. Some of the films that are put out by some of the minority uh, demographics don't have those kind of budgets. So I think that's where you need to go in and get the people, you know, that are going to go see those films, that are going to nominate those films and vote on those films. Uh, do the Oscars need to, to revamp? Yes. Are they going to? Oh, you bet they will. But also, and what I'm saying is, just because a film is made by a black production company or Hispanic production company or whatever, doesn't mean it should automatically get an Oscar nomination. And I firmly believe that. Chris Rock is hosting the Oscars this Sunday. And a lot of uh, black actors have suggested that uh, he should boycott the Oscars and, you know, not perform, uh, you know, his, his duties as the host of the show. Chris Rock has also been one that is not afraid to speak about race issues. Do you, what do you expect from him as he hosts the Oscars this week? I expect a fantastic show. I expect him to come out guns blazing as only Chris Rock can do. I think he's a perfect choice for hosts, especially what's going on. I can't wait to see his opening monologue. It's going to be hilarious. I mean, he's basically going to poke fun at the Oscars who deserve a finger back in their face and, and saying, look, look how ridiculous this is. But you know what? By, this, um, by the same token, by him doing that, it, 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 it will put a blanket on the, on the subject. It will close the subject. And then uh, the, uh, the Academy knows what they need to do, and they're going to do it. They're already making moves is what I've heard. So let's, let's pull fun at ourselves. You know, they're, they're fair game. And I think, Chris Rock, I'm glad he stayed with the show because I did hear some of the big names in Hollywood calling for a boycott for him to pull out. That would have been a huge mistake. I'm glad he's doing it. He's the perfect host for it. He's going to do a fantastic job. And he's going to make the jokes that I think need to be there so that Oscar can finally say, okay, our bad. We get it. We deserve this. Now we're moving on. Fresh start, you know, 2017 is going to be a, a, a you'll see a, a diversified type show. I hope so. Well, they have to. I mean, it's got to happen now. But um, they just, they really need to get some people in there from, like I said a second ago, cross-section of the demographics, people that are that active producers that are, that are, that are young and, 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 and vibrant and from all demographics that are working in film. I'm not saying to kick out the older people that have been sticking with the one way that they've done it, but let's, let's, let's make it a more diversified type uh, you know, group. But yeah, Chris Rock, he's going to be awesome. And I think actually they want that because the ratings are going to go through the roof. You know that. Everybody's going to tune in. We're all going to be watching to see what Chris Rock is going to say and do. Absolutely. And again, just a reminder to our listeners, the 88th Academy Awards are taking place this Sunday, and Chris Rock will be the host. But Dave, you absolutely nailed your predictions for the Grammy Awards. And I'm curious, let's start with the best picture. I haven't seen, I'm just going to be honest, I haven't seen all of the films that are nominated, but it seems to me that The Revenant is the clear-cut favorite. Am I wrong in saying that? You are absolutely right, and that was the category that, I'm actually going to be going against uh, what most people spotlight is, as uh, for best picture category. Spotlight has been the film that has just won everything. I mean, it won at my show, the Critics' Choice Awards. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, that was that had so much momentum going for it. I talked a little bit about the marketing dollars a minute ago that the studios used to, to push the, you know, get the votes and campaign. Um, spotlight has had a tremendous machine behind it. But it's kind of fallen off, Revenant. Uh, when we get to director and actor, you know, we'll talk about that. But uh, Revenant, to me, I think is the best film of all the biggies that are in the, that are nominated. I hope it wins. My prediction is Revenant. I will say this though: the other film that's getting traction right now, 
It could be an upset, and it would be a big upset if it one is the big short. That one is really getting a lot of traction lately, and I, and I would not be surprised if the big short pulls an upset. But I'm going to stick with my pick, and I'm going to go with the Revenant. Very interesting choice, and uh, big short again starring Brad Pitt. So, uh, Kevin, uh, I guess lead us off with Best Actor. Yeah, so, I mean, if we're going chalk here, you know, the Vegas favorite pick here would be Leonardo DiCaprio for his role in The Revenant. We got Best Picture is what we're picking there. What uh, Do you think that he is your favorite headed into this, uh, or do you like one of the Dark Horses? No, he's he, that's, that one you can... You know, put the that one bet the mortgage on. <laughs> I don't know what the I don't I don't know what the, the payoff is going to be, but um, Leo is going to win Best Actor. That is, he's a lock. He deserves it. He's deserved it in in, the, in years past, but he's going to win. And I actually interviewed him for this film, uh, and I've known Leo for a long, long, long time. When I worked in Los Angeles radio, I used to hang out with Leo, so I had not seen him in years. And when I talked to him for The Revenant, he, he and I basically we caught up. And I told him, I said, wow, you've come a long way. I mean, I've known Leo since, like, based the Gilbert uh, Grape days. So, I mean, look what, look how far he's come, how he's developed as an actor. And he's a great guy. He deserves it. And he is going to win Best Actor. Call it in. The other big award is Best Actress. Again, you've got great names like Kate Blanchett, Jennifer Lawrence, who seems to be nominated every single year. Who do you like in that category? Uh, Brie Larson. That's a lock as well. I, I, she's going to win it. She deserves it. Room was one of my favorite movies. came out of nowhere. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. But Brie Larson, I'm, I'm sticking with that one. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, by the way, Brooklyn, she's coming on strong right now, too. Kate is still, I would think, in the top five that, that could win it, but I don't think she's going to. But as far as who, who's going to win Best Actress, my prediction, Brie Larson. Call it in. Actor in a supporting role would be uh, of, of the ones we're most interested in, the next most important one there. And you had mentioned to us when you were on previously that you loved Creed, um, that it was a surprisingly good movie. And, of course, it was the one thing that it got nominated for here would be Stallone's performance in it for Best Actor in a supporting role. So is, is that your pick here, or are you going somewhere else? Absolutely. In fact, I do remember when we talked about it last time. I was on your show, and guys, thanks again for having me on. Um, yeah, Sylvester Stallone, Creed, that's, that is my pick. That would, I'm not a member of the uh, voting for the Academy for the Oscars, but if I were, that one for sure. It still is uh, one of my top movies of the year. Although uh, my number one was Inside Out for 2015, but, and Revenant was second. Number three was Creed. So um, that good. Uh, their director should have been nominated, by the way. But um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Best Supporting Actor, He's going to win it, and he deserves it. What about Best Supporting Actress? Who do you think wins that category? You know, um, there's, there's been a lot of talk about Kate Winslet, and, you know, she did a good job uh, and for Steve Jobs, but you really got to gotta go back and, and check out the Danish girl. Um, Alicia Vikander is the other one that is a big contender. My, my prediction, I'm going to go with Alicia in that category. Yeah, Kate was great in Steve Jobs, but I think, you know, Carol was another film. It was getting a lot of mention, but that's kind of, but the buzz on that one has really slowed down. But Alicia Vikander, I, I would definitely go with her for uh, Danish Girl. So I need somebody who is a Hollywood insider to explain this to me. All of the buzz surrounding Mad Max Fury Road, because I went and saw it. And I walked out thinking, sure, there are visually stunning aspects of this movie. I certainly see it being nominated for the visual work and so forth. But it's nominated for everything. Why is Hollywood in love with this film? Is there just something about it I don't get? What are your thoughts? Well, um, you've got the wrong guest uh, for that question. That was a joke. <laughs> because I, to, honest, honest, to be honest with you, I didn't nominate that, that movie except for in the special effects categories on my BFCA ballot. I didn't get the hype. Uh, you know, that was Mad Max uh, to me. I just, I, Tom Hardy, I love that guy. He and I have a good rapport. I've interviewed him several times. He, he can be a kind of a crazy guy, but he's, I, I like him a lot. We, we've actually, we get along real well. But, um, no, I, I don't get the hype with, with Mad Max. Uh, it was, it's a good film. I get it. The director is awesome. You know, he's, 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 he's a legend. But I just didn't, I, I don't know. I really don't know why Hollywood was so in love with that movie. But special effects in the effects category, I could see it winning that. But no, I, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I didn't. I don't. I don't get the hype with Mad Max at all. For our listeners, if any films that maybe weren't the marquee films that you would have heard of, if there are people looking for really solid movies that are going to be appearing in these categories that you could kind of recommend and shed some light on, what would you point people towards? Uh, you know, I wish The Martian would have done a little bit better. 
uh, as far as the boating. The other one, too, is Bridge of Spies. That's a fantastic film. Uh, that was one of my favorites, top five, you know, for the year. Um, what else? I'm actually looking at a list of the releases last year. Uh, I think they kind of got it right on a lot of stuff, but I think if I had to answer two and you only asked for one, I would say Bridge of Spies. I wish it would have gotten a little bit more love from, from the Academy. And then, um, yeah, Bridge of Spies and Martian. Those were great films, and if you haven't seen them, definitely. And if you haven't seen Room, put it on your list. Have you guys seen Room? I have, not. I have not, but I will put it on my list. Please do. You're going to love it. It's fantastic. It's a wonderful film. It's a great story. I mean, it's a haunting story, but it's it's just the acting in that movie is fantastic. Jacob Tremblay, who's the young actor uh, that won at our show for the best uh, actor, like under 21, uh, he he's just he steals the film. But Room Room was just great. But yeah, I would I would go to answer your question. I would say Bridge of Spies should have gotten more love. I liked it, and so did. Uh, the Martian, who, which I really enjoyed. I, I was actually having a conversation with uh, Kevin uh, just a few days ago, and we were talking about uh, kind of our our predictions for the Oscars. And I told him that you know I don't make it out to the the movie theaters as often as I do, so I'm kind of as often as I should. So I'm kind of glad to hear that you said The Martian and Bridge of Spies. These are two films that I've actually watched in the past month and a half. And as a history nerd, I absolutely love Bridge of Spies. I thought Tom Hanks did a great job. And, uh, you know, I've been to Germany 12 times. So it was cool to be able to see some of those historic sites in film. But, you know, once we move past the Oscars, I mean, there are some great films that are expected to come out in 2016. And as I understand, you were in Los Angeles recently. You sat down with Morgan Freeman and the cast of the upcoming film, London Has Fallen. What can you tell us about this film from Hollywood's voice of God and, you know, the role that he played in that movie? He's a fantastic. It's the first time that I've sat down with Morgan. It was funny because the hotel I was staying at, he was also staying at, and I was in the elevator with him twice before uh, the day before I shot the interviews and again the morning of and he kind of looked down at me and he's like okay are you following me and we just kind of laughed and and when I finally went in the room you know to talk to him he um he well we already knew each other just from the elevator but he is Morgan's a great guy Uh, he's everything you expect him to be he's super friendly he's serious he doesn't really joke around a lot but even when he jokes around in a serious mood or that he's in it's still funny and I'll tell you a funny story we haven't aired the interview yet, but I'll tell you what happened, and we're going to leave this in the interview. My last question to him when we were wrapping up, I said, can you just say Dave Morales? And I wanted to hear him say it, you know, like he would say it, as you can imagine. So he looked at me, and he goes, Dave Morales. So then I looked at him, I said, no, say it like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Excuse me. And it dawned on me, there was a, you know, I was taught like, you know, like when you sit around with your buddies and you go like, no, no, say it like Morgan Freeman. Well, I said that because that was my first reaction but there he was sitting there. So he looks at me and he goes, he laughed. He put, he, he pulled his head back. He looked at me with a big, that big smile. And he goes, who do you think just said it? <laughs> and, and it was him. So he, um, he's great. He's fantastic. This movie is, uh, you know, I did get a chance to ask him about how he prepares for roles. You know, I, I said, star athletes, uh, go in and have a certain, uh, drill that they do. Like Michael Jordan had drills and, and exercises that he did before he went took the court, things that, that you do, you know, big athletes before big games. And I wanted to know what that particular actor like him does. And he kind of went through the routine with me. I'm not going to go through it here, but definitely watch the interview. It'll be on Fox 26 in Houston, and if you can see it. And uh, But he's just an amazing guy, and he's great in this film. The movie is – I like it. If you like uh, Olympus Has Fallen, if you like it, it's a good sequel. It is. It moves extremely fast. There's no dull or slow parts to it. It was over before you knew, you knew it. And at the end, I was actually kind of like, I wanted more. I did tell Morgan that today. I was like, I wanted more. And he goes, well, good. That means we did our job. Um, it's a good film. It's, and it's, the scary thing about it is it could be true. You know, they've moved on from the White House. Now they're in London, and the terrorist organization, you know, gets involved, and that's when chaos in, in, ensues, and... It's just it's crazy, but it's almost so scary that these things really could happen. But it's a good it's it's a good movie, and I would recommend it um, when it does come out. Plus, it's an incredible cast. I mean, Angela Bassett, you know, Gerald, Gerard Butler, who's just great. Um, Aaron Eckhart, who plays the president. I asked him today. I go, uh, you know, if, if you run and there's still plenty of time, everybody else is. 
I go, I vote for you. So, I mean, it's it's good. I think you guys will definitely enjoy it. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that movie. Again, that is coming out in March 2016, so make sure to check that out. Dave, last week on the show, we were kind of mentioning our two-timers club, and we've had a few sports reporters who have been on uh, two times. But again, we've had 31 episodes of the Weekly Brew Podcast, and you are in very select company. I know it's not the same as being on Saturday Night Live's five-timers club, but I think we should create like jackets and give you one. Uh, but it's always great to talk with you about you know what's going on, on in Hollywood and the entertainment industry. And for those that want to follow you, kind of learn about more about what you do and kind of follow your work, where can they find you? You're right. It's not like Saturday Night Live. It's actually better, so I really appreciate it. We appreciate and, that, too. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. You can catch, uh, you know, I co-own BackstageOL.com. That's the website. My Twitter is at uh, DaveBackstageOL. The same is on Instagram, although I'm not really on there as much as I should. I just got a Snapchat, which I don't understand. I don't see what the big deal is with that. I mean, don't you want to kind of look at the pictures more? I know everybody's doing it, and but I, I started using it, and I'm proud to say my only friend on Snapchat is actually my mother. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm impressive. not kidding. I, I just don't get it. I, don't, but I guess I need to spend more time on it. But yeah, Dave Backstage Well is the handle on all my accounts. And uh, definitely, I, I write some cool stuff and talk about our adventures. I'm actually, as we record this episode, I'm actually headed to Orlando in a couple of hours, literally in a couple of hours, to talk with the cast of Zootopia. And we're shooting the interviews at the Animal Kingdom uh, theme park at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida. So I'm pretty excited. And hopefully, my voice will be back to 100% before I sit down with the cast from that. Shakira's in that movie, and I'm talking to her in a couple of days, so that'll be kind of cool. <laughs> well, if you can, just tell Shakira I said hi, and uh, enjoy your trip in uh, Orlando. And uh, we again, thank you for joining us this week on the podcast. No problem, guys. Have yourself a wonderful weekend, and let's see how my predictions go Oscar night, okay? All right, that sounds All great. Right. We appreciate it, Dave. Take care. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Each week on the podcast, we try to bring our listeners fun and unique guests. This week on The Weekly Brew is no exception. Joining us now from Los Angeles is YouTube star, musician, artist, and comedian, Ali Spagnola. Ali, how are you doing this week? Hey, I'm awesome. How are you? We're doing just fine here in Houston. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So for those that might not be familiar with you, tell us how you got your start and kind of what role social media played in that. (laughs) Well, I guess started being a traditional musician and uh, strumming a guitar in a cafe and realized that was super boring. So I started being funny and putting things on the internet, and then that worked out really well. And I would say social media plays a 100% role in my career right now. <laughs> Basically, all of my focus and all of my creative work goes to the internet. So anything I thought of in the past five years, you can find somewhere by Googling well enough. Now, I think it's kind of apropos that we're called The Weekly Brew, and you kind of made headlines a few years ago because of a Power Hour album that you created. And for those that aren't familiar with Power Hour, I recommend re-enrolling in college for a semester or two. But you received a cease and desist order for using the term Power Hour, but rather than backing down, you challenged the court system for three years, spending your own money. Is that correct? That is correct. So, so tell us about that. I mean, that, that, to me, that just seems like a crazy story. Um, yeah, and it was a terrible idea on my part, <laughs> but I did it. I, I fought this guy. I, I, the game is called Power Hour, and he said that he invented it, which is crazy because it's basically the poker of drinking, and he was saying, look, I invented poker, and no one can play poker again but me. Um, so obviously I was upset about that and then fought him. He, he actually attacked a bunch of people. I was the one that sort of fought back and had no idea how much money or time it would take me and as I just kept getting deeper and deeper into it. I was like, well, I can't give up now. And But at, finally, like you said, after three years, uh, I ended up winning the case, which was fantastic. Did that help like get you any additional exposure? I mean, I, I know there are some news articles that were surrounding that case, but uh, did that kind of maybe provide more people to know your name? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like That was the thing that sort of snowballed my online presence. Um, I had work out there, but once people evangelized on Reddit and Twitter about, like, this poor girl that was being intellectually trademark infringed or um, in fighting this battle against some big, bad, negative guy that they could all get against. And that's like really what helped me online. That and being hilarious through all of it. Obviously. Of course. <laughs> Ali, kind of shifting back to your music, I, you know, coming from a family of musicians um, and having no musical talent on my own, I can't help but be green with envy when I see your music videos. For a, a few of our listeners that might not be musically inclined, can you tell us what kind of preparation goes into each one of your videos? Sure, yeah. So what's my music stuff right now on One Gal Band, and so 
I play all of the instruments to a song, and you watch me loop everything in real time. And by the end, it sounds like a full band, but it was just me doing the whole thing, and, I'll, and then I'll sing over it and, and harmonize with myself and that kind of thing. So the prep for that is as ridiculous as it looks. I mean, just everything from, like, the setup to arranging how the song's going to sound to, like, smoothly transitioning from one instrument to another and then doing it all in real time as you watch and nailing that perfect take for the video. It's an uh, absurd way to waste my time, but I'm glad some people like it. Now, you've got some pretty cool videos out there. I mean, you're remixing some you know Grammy award-winning artists and people won yesterday, or some people won earlier uh, this past week, and you know, you've kind of done remixes of their songs. How long does it take you from you know start to finish to putting that video up on YouTube for that whole process to transpire? I mean, it depends on the song. I just did Beat It by Michael Jackson, and that one was like, you know, over, over a month of sort of reworking it and everything. And then when I did Shake It Off, I actually nailed it on the first take when I was filming <laughs> that one. So it really depends. But it's usually anywhere from like a little over a week to, you know, a month or so. So kind of getting back to uh, the multitude of things that you do, uh, one of the things that I like is that you're also an artist. You you paint uh, a painting a day, send it to a fan. Where did that idea come from? And does that, you know, is that a tedious process or, or just explain that to people? I started doing it back in college. It was just a project where I would put art on the wall in the gallery and be like, well, I don't want to take this home and it's, I'm not going to sell it. So I just let people take it off the wall before the show was over. And I was like, whoa, this feels really good. So uh, I'm going to start doing it on a larger scale. And I started doing it online and I was taking requests via email. And then I started doing one a day. And it's been since then that I've done over 2,600 of them. And yeah, it just, it's just a thing I do now. <laughs> it's on par with brushing my teeth. <laughs> Ali, we got artist, comedian, performer. Is there anything you, you don't do? Um, I'm kind of curious about your comedy and what goes into that. Um, is there anyone that, you, you know, uh, you see inspires you or any sort of style that you try to replicate or, or is or is your style just sort of uh, your own? Uh, I mean, definitely in comedy, everyone's trying to do their own thing, right? And there's so many times where there's joke stealing accusations, but it's just so easy in, in that world to sort of have similar ideas to other people. Um, I think Louis C.K. has talked about that. But I mean, yeah, in general, there's so many women right now that are crushing it. Um, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, love them. You know, Amy Schumer's amazing, and Sarah Silverman's always been awesome. So yeah, I mean, I have plenty of role models to be like, uh, wow, women are hilarious, and dudes too. Obviously, like I said, Louis C.K. I'm a big fan of his too. You mentioned some great female comedians, but I feel that it's it's almost more of a, a male-dominated industry. Have you found it a little bit difficult to try to break through in that category? Uh, I mean, I, it's definitely shifting, and you can see it happening, even in. Like, I still do improv, and, and the classes are, you know, equal men and women now, which I know wasn't the case very shortly ago. And, and Tina Fey and Amy Poehler have had a huge part in that, and so it's awesome to see the shift. So for those that aren't familiar, you can check out uh, Allie's on YouTube. She's got some great content there, and she posts new videos every Thursday. Uh, I, I'm kind of <laughs> Sorry, it sounded like nude videos. Oh, no, 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 no. We just want to be like, clear. What I new too, videos. Like... <laughs> this is That's family fine. Tell them nude. I'll right? get all this traffic. Come on. <laughs> So when you are creating those uh, YouTube videos, I mean, just what is that process like in terms of, you know, whether you're going to do a, a music video, a workout video, a, a comedy sketch, uh, you know, something with Vine? How do you plan out that week? I mean, what does that typical week look like for you? Well, it's different every week depending upon the content, right? And if I'm working on a one-gal band, like there's some crazy recording arranging stuff going on. And if it's a comedy thing, then I'm booking you know actors to work with me or or the space or getting costuming so it seriously does vary week to week depending upon what i'm doing and i try and just sort of alternate right if it's been a while since i've done a a video about my paintings then i'll, I'll throw that one in and i know like once a month i try and get one of those one gal bands out so it's just what i've done most recently will uh, i will put put that off till later Jumping back to the One Gal Band for a minute, uh, one of the things that your website, you actually mentioned that uh, you know, it takes a lot of time, effort, and money. And uh, you had mentioned a, a kind of a crowdfunding source, uh, you know, asking fans to, you know, kind of support. How can they, you know, help you in that creative process for the One Gal Band? Yeah, it's um, it's been really awesome. I launched on Patreon about half a year ago, and it's kind of like Kickstarter, but it's ongoing. And so if you like my work and want to help me keep making it, 
you can like throw me a dollar every video or 10 or there's some some awesome people that just like are at the $250 level that every time I make a creative work, they support me monetarily. And it's been really wonderful. The platform is unbelievable. And the fans that make it happen are even more amazing. So Ali, uh, getting, uh, I'm just sort of curious for our listeners that might not know um, what I guess you're most famous for, um, apart from kind of what we touched on it earlier, but um, the Power Hour game. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that? Because I'm actually interested in your show and where it's going next. I actually have one this Friday I'm playing in L.A. So, yeah, I'm still doing the live Power Hour thing, which, if you haven't heard of it, is a live concert that's also a drinking game. So when I'm performing, everybody's playing along. It's an interactive party. And the the way you play is that every song I perform is only 60 seconds long. So after a minute, I'll stop the music and then everybody cheers, oh, shot, and we all drink together, and then I start the next song, and it's six <laughs> different songs in an hour. How are you feeling at the end of that hour? Uh, I mean, I'm feeling awesome because the crowd's super supportive, and they just, like, all became best friends and just been screaming the lyrics back to me the whole time. And because um, lately I've been doing cover shows, and so it's just, like, every pop, hit, rock, 80s, jams, you know, anything you would hear at a wedding, it's like I'm a wedding band that like gives up after a minute and everyone knows all the words. And it's super fun because everybody's really into it and dancing and like playing along. So after the hour, I'm having a blast. <laughs> that sounds awesome, Allie. Um, as you know, I, I don't know how many times you've been to Texas. I think you've been a couple times before, but the state does love to party. Uh, when can we expect to see you back in the Lone Star State? Well, uh, this is certainly not for sure, and you guys would be getting the first update about it. I haven't even mentioned it at all, but I may be going to South by Southwest this year. Oh, that'd be huge. Oh, that's exciting. All right. Yeah. That's always a, uh, a fun week in, uh, in, in, in Austin. Great atmosphere as well. It is, for sure. Yeah, with, with your show, that's a recipe for some poor decisions on my part, so I'm really excited about the process <laughs> of that. You're confusing poor with awesome. Awesome decisions. Oh. Jeremy is known for getting into shenanigans and the state capitol, so uh, we will have to keep yeah. him away. <laughs> you know, as our listeners heard at the top of the show, it's Oscars week. And so we know that you are, you know, not one of those like Hollywood critics, but we know you're known for comedy. So are you up for a little rapid fire Q&A? Sure, let's do it. If you are voting, I, I just want to know who you're voting for in these different categories and why. Best picture. Wait, am I supposed to know the nominees? No, no, you can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I think this was came out last year. Frozen. Duh. Best picture is Frozen. <laughs> All right. Best actor. Um, we have to go with Leonardo DiCaprio because what the heck? He's supposed to get it, right? Everyone freaks out on Twitter about him not winning one ever. <laughs> All right. What about best actress? Leo DiCaprio again. Come on, guys. He deserves at least two. I think that would be that'd be great. Progressive for society. Uh, what, what about best dressed? Um, I'm going to say the progressive woman, Flo. All right. Killing it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Final question for you. Worst dressed. Worst dressed. Oh my goodness. I don't know. Who was it? Oh, Taylor Swift last night at the Grammys. Cause she was wearing <laughs> pink and red together. Come on, in the middle of daylight. Stop. She she had a she had a she, she had to do something to uh, make Calvin Harris happy. We guess, but. <laughs> yeah. uh, for... She actually looked really great. <laughs> but I got to give her crap for something. We're fans of her on the show, so we, we can just at least come out and say that. But, uh, you know, we, we definitely appreciate you joining us on the podcast uh, this week. And uh, for, for listeners that, uh, you know, don't follow you on social media right now, uh, you're everywhere. Tell us how they can find you. Thanks. Um, I'm Ali Spagnola on everything. So I guess Google that or put that in as the username. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ali, we definitely appreciate you taking the time out this week to join us on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to maybe seeing you at South by Southwest this March. Yeah, heck yeah. It was great talking to you guys. Super fun. Closing time. Guys, I really enjoyed today's episode. Uh, we had, you know, guests from all across the country. We, uh, you know, thank Dave Morales for joining us, talking about the Oscars. Ali Spagnola, I thought she was great. Uh, definitely uh, some great insight there from her and the work that she's putting out in California. Uh, make sure to check her out on pretty much every single social media platform. She has a strong presence there. Also, again, thanks to Vincent Ellis of the Detroit Free Press and host of the Preaching Pistons podcast. I uh, love chatting with him. Great personality. Personality, great guy. Uh, Jeremy, Kevin, what did you guys think about this week? 
Well, I was sad that I had to miss Allie's uh, appearance. Of course, I've heard the audio already. She was a terrific guest. Um, I think I was covering high school basketball at that point, so that was uh, unfortunate. But uh, the rest of it was wonderful as always. I got to say, it's uh, the highlight of my week, always. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a blast. Um, obviously, going to feel much better going into next week, not having the flu. But uh, yeah, I had a great time talking to Allie and um, had a great time talking to NBA with you guys. Yeah, and we definitely appreciate you podcasting like a champion, Jeremy. I mean, I know when I have the flu, I definitely don't want to be around anybody. Uh, but both Kevin and Jeremy have been sick the last few weeks, and uh, they have not missed an episode. So kudos to them. And uh, speaking of making Kevin's week feel better, uh, it's that time of the show. Kevin, tell us about iTunes. Oh, yeah. This is, this is what really makes the week worth it um, because these help us a lot. We've mentioned this before. These iTunes reviews are vitally important in terms of getting us into people's search results so that more people hear about us, more people discover us, listen to us, subscribe to us. That's really what it's all about. We want to grow and expand our message of uh, you know political reasonableness and uh, sports awareness to other people. So this is, helps us out a lot. And um, and my favorite listener this week is the listener that left us a review. So it's kind of like having a kid. You know, All of you listeners are not necessarily on par with one another. I have <laughs> favorites i have ones i like more and this week it would be ghoulies rocks um great stuff is the title really great balance of news sports and arts to keep your brain happy cool dudes very enjoyable i've never been called cool before so that was fantastic and she did point out um or he could be either uh pointed out that it's a great balance of news sports and arts and we really try hard to keep those all balanced to keep everyone informed so that's a, that's a terrific job by a terrific listener uh this week you're my favorite ghoulies rocks well, I'm glad Ghoulies Rocks could make your week, Kevin, and uh, I, I definitely enjoyed this week's show. I thought we had some uh, great guests, and we hope everyone uh, listening at home likes us. But if you did enjoy the show, go to iTunes. Make sure to give us a five-star review. Tell us what you like or, or anything that you want to hear, like uh, you know tips or uh, different segment ideas. We want to hear that feedback. Uh, and you know, if you, make, if you leave us a review, we'll discuss it next week on the podcast. But as always, again, you can find us on social media. You can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also check out our website, weeklybrewcast.com. For my co-host, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 